the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer. I'm joined today, as usual, by Rotograph's editor, Eno Saris. Today, we're talking injury concerns, a potential future star at third base, and a pair of disappointing pitchers. And as always, we're going to start off with the most interesting player alive today, and that's Josh Hamilton. So, Eno, do you think it's too early for me to pat myself on the back for making the preseason bold prediction that Josh Hamilton's fantasy value falls outside the top 20 at the outfield position. Well, that's, that's, that's pretty low. Um, but I'm right so far. Yeah, you were <laughs> definitely right. Uh, and, and, uh, and, you know, you and Dave Cameron are, are, are of a like mind. Um, I, uh, I, I, the, the, the earliest thing to stabilize, of course, are swing rates and contact rates. Um, and, partially because they're per, uh, per swing. But, you know, we might not have even needed the, the information that he's given us so far this year because it just really falls in line with what he's been doing recently. Um, so that's – he's been a problem for a while. Um, and uh, uh, I don't see him make, getting any better. You know, you know the, the ability to make contact on pitches outside the zone is not something that gets better with age. In fact, it's one of the things that gets worse with age. Um, and at the worst rate. So there's really nothing to like there right now. And um, I hate to say it, he might be one of those sell low guys. Yeah, I don't think he's a buy low at all. So I completely agree. Last year was a bad season in terms of making contact. And that was, of course, hidden by his big power surge. I mean, his contact rate last year was the worst of his career. He swung and missed at a 20% rate. And that has barely improved this year. He's striking out even more than last year's rate. And his power is down. So there's really been nothing right for Josh Hamilton this year. Plus, he's in a pitcher's park. Obviously, he's been playing in Texas all these previous years, which is one of the best hitters parks in baseball. So I expected a disappointing season. And he's been giving me no reason to become any more optimistic uh, so far over this first month. So basically... You're agreeing that he's not a buy low, and if you own him, he's perhaps a sell low. Yeah, I mean, there's just there's really nothing to like. I guess, um, you know, maybe he'll hear the sort of clamoring for him to change his game, or maybe maybe his uh, coaching staff will really get on him. But uh, he's just been this way for a couple of years, and he's no longer getting the the luck of the bounce uh, in terms of batted balls. Um, his strikeout rate, you know, he used to kind of swing so much that he would make contact before he would strike out. Um, uh, but maybe that's not a sustainable approach because now his, his strikeout rate is getting close to 30%, which is just a, a very scary number. Um, you know, the, the updated, the sort of rest of season projections call for him to hit about 260 with 20 homers, uh, uh and a handful of stolen bases. Uh, that does not sound like a top 20 outfielder. And given his strikeout rate, which is more believable given his contact and swing rates, uh, that would stabilize 
says early. I mean, just what we what we know says he's not going to recover the way we want him to. Yeah, and I think one of the most troubling signs is for the first time he's got a negative pitch value on the fastball. He's always crushed the fastball in previous years, but right now his weighted average per 100 pitches runs is it's minus point one runs uh, below average, and and that's quite the concern for somebody who's always clobbered the fastball and now he's actually negative against the fastball so uh, he's a mess right now and, and there's nothing really that hints uh at an imminent turnaround so yeah i think that he's somebody that i might actually consider selling low and i would not buy low on yeah the the interesting thing is you know in order to get a fastball you have to work the count on some level because the fastball is is the pitch that pitchers use in order to get a strike um, and if you're never ahead, then they never feel the need to throw the pitch. Really, I mean, uh, his fastball percentage has got to be down a little bit too. Let me check that out. Um, his fastball percentage is at a career low. So, uh, they're just not throwing in the fastball and, uh, they don't need to because he's not, he's not making them do it. So, um, yeah, it doesn't look good. Yeah. And I wanted to move on to, a real scare last night coming out of Washington, and that's Steven Strasburg, who is dealing with some forearm tightness. And just based on experience, a lot of the time when you see this kind of news, a week later you find out that so-and-so is going to be undergoing Tommy John surgery. So, I mean, obviously he's already returned from a first Tommy John surgery, so I, this can't be something to just kind of ignore. I mean, you got to be concerned if you are a fantasy owner, right? You know. Of course, of course. Um, and I do think it's related to the elbow. Uh, but uh, Zimmerman, Jeff Zimmerman, did some research that found that there's a sort of a, a Tommy John honeymoon. Um, that sounds like fun. Yeah. <laughs> and that you're usually okay for about um, 400 innings pitched. Um, of course, you know, at the end of the season this year, Strasburg might actually be, uh, he'll be pushing three, three fifty. So I guess he wouldn't necessarily be out, out of the range of the error bars on that research probably. Uh, but it seems a little bit early. The, the ligament is new. He, he, you know, he put it together fine, um, for 160 innings last year. And I know that everyone's calling them stupid for for not getting the innings when they could and so on. Um, but um, I think they're just being cautious, and I think it'll be fine. Yeah, I mean, besides the injury concerns, I mean, he hasn't really opened the year in Strasburg-like fashion. I mean, his strikeout rate is down to just 8.7, only a 23% strikeout percentage. Last year, he was at 30% strikeout percentage and an 11.1 strikeout per nine. His swinging strike rate is down to just 9%, which is barely above the league average. His first strike percentage has dipped below 60%, which is below the league average. So there are several warning signs aside from the injury. I'm wondering if that forearm tightness has bothered him since the beginning of the year and has hurt his peripherals. Yeah, this is like one of the most frustrating spots to be in, I think, as a fantasy player because uh, – I would call him, uh, I guess, a buy low almost if I was sure that if I was like 100 percent sure that this elbow wasn't like a real problem uh, because, you know, he's still throwing 96. Uh, he's still got the wicket change up. 
Uh, I think, you know, there's a little bit of sort of command uh, failings, even if his control is still above average. There's, there's some issue with him missing spots. Um, he isn't quite Strasburgian in the way uh, he sort of debuted and the way he looked last year at times. Uh, but uh, he's still an excellent pitcher, and I believe that he'll get the strikeout rate up if he's healthy. So, uh, you know, we're, we're just not doctors, and we can't see the ligament. We don't know what's going on. We're just breathlessly waiting for the next. And you know what? It doesn't actually make him a good buy low because the owner of Strasburg is just playing the same game. We were like, they're, they're doing the same thing, waiting for the next uh, news update. And they're not going to sell just thinking it's Tommy John. They want to know it's Tommy John, you know? Yeah, I think we're in the same exact boat. I was going to say that bottom line, if I own Strasburg, I would sit tight, cross my fingers. But if I did not own Strasburg, I would not send out an offer for him. Basically, it's just a wait-and-see approach for Strasburg. Yeah, it's really hard. To, yeah, I agree with you. All right, well, I wanted to move on to somebody who's getting a ton of buzz. And to be honest, I ex- actually expected him to be the most searched-for player on Fangraphs, but he is not. He's one of the top ten, though, and that's Nolan Arenado, who's called up on Sunday. He hit, hit his first home run yesterday and got his first hit, of course. His first hit was actually his first home run. And he's getting picked up in all leagues. And actually, in my post yesterday, we got questions about, would you drop this guy? Would you drop this guy? I think it's getting a little bit out of hand as, as people are expecting him to be the next big thing and are asking, do I drop Paul Canerco? Do I drop... Norichika Aoki or Brett Laurie. I think it's getting a little crazy, but are you? where do you fall in terms of bullishness on Arenado? Yeah, I was actually trying to think of uh, different, who you who would you drop so that I found uh, more uh, uh, difficult to decide. So uh, I, I came up with a couple for you. Uh, the first one I think is easier, or at least I thought so. Would you drop Will, Mid- Will Middlebrooks for him? Ooh, that's a good one. See, I, I hate the idea of dropping players for Arenado because Middlebrooks is a guy who should be owned in 12-team mixed leagues. I, you know, I think he'll be worth only a, you know, a couple of bucks, but he's worth a roster spot. So it, that's tough for me. Do I think Arenado can out-earn him? I definitely think he'll beat him in batting average, and, uh, but Middlebrooks has more power. So I think it's closer. I don't think it's an obvious that Arenado would out-earn him. Um, so, I don't know. Borderline there. I, I don't know. Really borderline there. This this actually, uh, you know, sort of uh, comes into a, a, an interesting idea that I had recently that uh, that uh, that I, I think I, this came this comes into like an interesting idea that I had recently that that, you know, not you know, when, you, when we do value calculations we do it sort of in a vacuum, but uh, when we're actually uh, playing fantasy baseball, we're, we're sort of uh, trying to protect our categories and we're really thinking about our categories and our teams in specific. So um, there's no way that we can um, sort of uh, – there's no way that we can deal with a, a, a bad batting average if our team has a bad batting average as a team. You know what I mean? So um, I, I've found that I have a bias against high strikeout guys with bad batting averages just because – uh, I find it hard to find guys that are reliable. You know, you could always, in the back in the old days, you could do Ichiro Dunn. Um, and that was actually sort of an undervalued duo where the Ichiro would cover your Dunn and you'd get a bunch of homers and a bunch of stolen bases and, and everyone goes, I'm happy in the end. Um, 
But I don't think that there's as, as an obvious uh, batting average guys that are out there that you're like, ah, you know, that guy's going to put up a good batting average every year. I can count on him. And so, therefore, if I draft a couple of guys like him, I can always have a Middlebrooks. I can have a Dunn. I can have whatever. I don't necessarily find that to be the case. I find that batting average is really something that I always have to watch out for and sort of coddle and massage. Um, and so I know that Middlebrooks' homers will – make him a valuable player. But I also know that in batting average leagues, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of worried about that sort of thing. So I would drop Nolan Arenado for Will Middlebrooks. I would drop Will Middlebrooks for Nolan Arenado just because the batting average is going to be better, and I believe that his home park will help him make up some of the, the power gap. That's fair enough. Uh, I think, though, that you're not giving Middlebrooks enough credit for his batting average. I see him as you know a 260, 270 guy. I don't really see him as somebody who could potentially kill your batting average. And so Arnado, I do think, will beat Middlebrooks in batting average, but I don't think it's going to be such a huge margin that Middlebrooks is somebody to worry about to bring your whole team's batting average down. Yeah, that's, that's a fair point. But, um, you know, he's, he's changed a little bit from last year. He's, he's striking out at 30% instead of 25% and, and Middlebrooks is. And then he's also... Um, hitting more fly balls than ground balls. And last year he hit more ground balls than fly balls. So those are both things that are uh, a little bit iffy uh, for batting average. So I, I'd put him more down on 250. But here's another, here's an, here's another would you rather. Um, and I think we'll probably on the same size as this, but you know what? I might as well ask it. Mike Moustakas. Oh, my gosh. So that's funny because Moustakas was dropped in my 12-team mixed league a couple of days ago. And... I actually bid on Arenado over Moustakis. I bid $12 on my $100 budget on Arenado. I was the high bidder, so I won him. Moustakis actually went for $21. And we can't see who the next highest bidders were, so it's possible that he could have bid 5 bucks for Moustakis and won him. So for me, it, it really depends. Clearly, Arenado has the hype, and the only reason I picked him up is – specifically to try to offer him in, in a trade. Because I already, I'm already set at the positions that Arenado can play, and so I want to try to trade him and, and see how much I can get. Uh, this is another batting average um, issue here, very much like Middlebrooks. And at this point, I think I might rather have Middlebrooks just because he probably has a little more power than Moustakis, might not be as guaranteed of a batting average drain. So at this point, I think I would rather have Arenado. Because he can probably match him in the power category, and he'll easily win in batting average. Yeah, Mustakis's line is just so crazy. Every time I look at it, I don't, I don't, it doesn't make any sense to me. He's making so much contact. He's like a middle infielder with contact. He's almost <laughs> walking more, and he never walked before. Now he's almost walking more than he's striking out. He's, you know, he doesn't have the swinging strike rate of a slugger. He doesn't have the power of a slugger. But he's hitting 60% fly ball. I don't, none of it makes any sense to me. I, 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 I actually, I'm going to pass on my own question because I have no idea. Uh, Is that I, loud? I, I, I just, the thing is, I, I just, it, it's not a question that I've had to ask myself like in real life because my fantasy um, leagues where I own Moustakas are mostly deep leagues and Arnado was already owned uh, or deep, deep or, or dynasty. So, um, but just looking at it, I, I love the fact that Moustakis is making uh, so much contact. And his 13% strikeout right now, right, right, right now, actually falls in line with his past. You know, 
And in the minor leagues, he had 13, 14% strikeout rates, put the ball in play a bunch, hit 350, you know, had ISOs over 200, over 250, over 300 one year. So I just think he needs to rein in the fly ball rate a little bit. And fly ball rate is not quite stabilized yet in terms of uh, statistical relevance. So I'm just going to put my money on the fact that he's going to hit more ground balls, level out the swing a little bit, and uh, show the power I'm waiting for. Or he's just going to be the, this year's version of Aaron Hill from a couple of years ago, where he has 200 Babbitt, bats 200, but he hits 25 home runs. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a definite possibility. It looks very Hill-like right now. <laughs> All right, quick projection on Arenado, then we got to move on. So in my article, I posted a 550 at-bat projection, 20 home runs, 291. Where do you fall in batting average and home runs over 550 at-bats for Arenado? Uh, I like the batting average. I, you know, he's just he's riding so high, and his his uh, minor league low in batting average is 285. I'd probably just use that as a default, um, you know, just because that was his biggest or his second biggest sample. But I, I, I'll take the 285. I mean, it's a it's a I guess it's a minor under, but I, I'll take a I'll take that batting average. 20 home runs. That's um that's probably more than he's projected for in terms of, uh, in terms of rates and, and using zips and so on. It is. Uh, but uh, he also, you know, in the small sample at AAA, took a little lurch forward in the power department. He hits more ground balls and fly balls so far in his 10 plate appearances. Um, I'll take the under. I'll take the under. I guess I'll take the under in both. I call him a 285-18 guy, but, you know, that's not a, that's not a significant I'm saying I disagree with you. I, I agree with you on the profile. Um, you know, he's just a young player doing his first time in the league, so I'll take slight unders. All right, let's move on. And in my best Seinfeld voice, what's the deal with Chris Medlin? <laughs> nice. That wasn't so bad, actually. <laughs> I, I feel like that was more uh, of the voice from uh, the movie um, – Crap, and I, I completely forgot the name of the movie. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll forget that part of the movie that I'm trying to think of. And we'll move to Chris Medlin. So what is the deal? Because on the surface, he actually looks like he's doing fine, a 326 ERA. But his Sierra is 466. His, his strikeout rate is way down. And his swinging strike rate also stinks. So what do fantasy owners make of him? Yeah, and I, I can't. I can't spot it, actually, because his pitching mix is uh, virtually unchanged. Uh, his changeup, I've, I've seen a couple starts. His changeup is, is still nice. He, he's got a good changeup. Batters are still reaching a lot, you know, above the, above the league average. Um, they're just making more contact now, and I, I wonder if, uh, if he's just in the zone a lot because he's got good control and they're just uh, – they're queuing up some of that stuff. I, what I really don't understand is why his whip is 135, because his BABIP is 282. He's got uh, above-average control, uh, and he's not giving up a ton of homers. Hmm. That that whip doesn't make any sense to me. I don't, it's I don't know because his strikeout rate is low, and, and that's led to the 32 hits in the 30 innings. And even though his control has been fine, I, I guess it's just because of the, the low strikeout rate. It's too many balls in play. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's too many balls in play. And the line drive rate, I think, will come down. You know, there's not real a great ability for pitchers to control line drive rate, and that usually uh, stabilizes around 20%. Uh, 
Um, so I think it's the lamest answer in the world, but I think he's he was a little bit worse than he was last year, and he's better than he is now. I'm, I'm a little worried just because he doesn't have very good velocity for a righty, so he basically relies on that change of working to get the strikeouts, and he's throwing at the same amount this year at a, on a rate basis, but the swings and misses are just not coming. So, I mean, from the surface, it looks like he's following up strongly. So perhaps he's actually a slight sell high candidate? You know what? I think you're right. You're right, actually, because, you know, from the, from the feedback we got on our first set of rankings, there was a lot of people who thought we uh, undervalued him and that uh, he was an ace and then we weren't ranking him as an, as an ace. So there are definitely people out there who think he's an ace, a fantasy ace, sorry, um, who think he's a fantasy ace and who probably look at his numbers this year and think that he's just a couple good games away from being a fantasy ace. Where I was to say that I would say that we probably both agree that he's not a fantasy ace. Yeah, I mean, unless you're looking at the advanced metrics, then you're not going to realize that he's actually been disappointing so far, and you're just going to think, oh, he's doing exactly what he was projected to do, following up strongly. I mean, obviously nobody expected another sub two ERA, but a low three ERA I think was a reasonable projection from any source that you looked at, and that's what he's doing so far. So he looks like he's doing exactly as expected. Unless you look in the advanced metrics, and so I think he actually makes a good stealth sell high guy. Yeah, I can see that actually. All right, let's move on to a guy that I think might actually be a sell low candidate, Giancarlo Stanton, who is back on the DL with a hamstring injury, and as we know, those can linger. That could take a month. That could take two weeks. We don't know. And given that lineup, I'm, I'm really tempted to say get rid of him for anything you can get at this point? Uh, in a redraft league, I suppose, it's difficult for me to say that because, you know, it's, you know, the shoulder thing, he got over it. Um, the ha- hammy's just, yeah, he, I don't think he tore it, but I, I would I would wait for one more update because they're going to do an MRI today. And and anything I say now will will seem foolish if he has a tear. And if he doesn't have a tear, I would say hold on to him because then it's probably just two or three weeks. Yeah, but for me, it's not even about like obviously we know that lineup protection is overrated. But the lack of protection in your lineup means that it's a bad lineup. It's going to hurt your runs and RBI opportunities. So if he's not going to really be that great in terms of runs and RBIs, then even if he does hit his 40 home runs, we know he's probably not going to hit for a great batting average. He'll probably be neutral in batting average. So he's probably not going to be the or earning the type of fantasy value that you expected when you drafted him. Uh, he's going to be a one-category guy, basically. And so there's got to be somebody who thinks that they're buying low. And in that lineup, it's just, it's just not going to be there, I don't think. It's an interesting point. His uh, strikeout rate also went in the wrong direction, and that, that stabilizes kind of quickly. Um and uh, if you give him his current strikeout rate uh, instead of regressing that back to his uh, sort of actually, you know, all the projection systems are, are, are projecting him to have a better strikeout rate than he's ever had, um, mostly because of aging curves, because he's so young. Um, and if you regress him even back to his career uh, strikeout rate and you put the power back in, but you give him his current BABIP, 
he's not going to hit uh, he's not going to hit even 270. Um, so you know if you're looking at the rest of season projections and you say to yourself, well, I know that aging curves say that he's supposed to have a better strikeout rate, but it's not looking like that right now in this season. Strikeout rates stabilize quickly. Um, and so, therefore, I'm going to choose not to believe the Zips updated, the Zips rest of season strikeout rate or the Steamer rest of season strikeout rate. Then you're definitely going to be ahead of people who just look at the projections and say, hey, he's going to strike out 25% of the time. He's going to hit 275. He's going to hit 35 homers. Everything will be fine. Um, and then, but you can see in the projection systems that. He's only projected for 80 um, runs and 90, uh, 90 uh, RBI total. So that is definitely way below uh, a regular slugger. So I'm coming around a little bit on what you're saying. Yeah, but also it depends if you're in an on-base league or a batting average league. I think that the projections might be uh, a little low on the walk rate for the rest of the year because even though he's only been intentionally walked once, I'm sure there have been a couple of unintentional intentional walks or intentional, unintentional walks and low, which way that is supposed to be said. But the, we don't want to face him. <laughs> right, right. And as the season wears on, I'm sure he'll be intentionally walked more often. He's easily going to set a new uh, career mark in uh, walk rate. So he'll have a pretty good on-base percentage, even if he only hits 250. And, and that'll be okay for his run scored, except that he has nobody behind him, except Justin Ruggiano, of course. but i mean when you get a walk you're not going to be knocking batters in and so that's going to hurt your rbi total so so for me personally i think owners should seriously consider uh shopping stand around to somebody who might think that they're buying low but uh we got to move on now and and here's a guy who had yet another poor start and that's matt kane so we are going to have our bull and bear segment and Eno, have you figured out which side is the bullish side and which side is the bearish one? No, but you told me to do the positive side, so I'll just. Oh, do okay. <laughs> next, next time I'm going to totally confuse you. I'm going to be like, "All right, do you want the chicken side or do you want?" The <laughs> side? <laughs> as long as we don't start talking about front door and back door, and I get all confused again. Oh, I, I don't even want to get into that because some of our listeners might have a, a little twisted mind and might be thinking. In some other way. <laughs> All right, so tell us why Matt Cain is going to turn things around. Uh, because I don't see anything wrong with his overall line except for uh, his home runs. Um, he's done everything that he's doing right now. He's done before um, except for give up two and a half home runs a game and uh, 20% home runs for fly ball. And I know, I know that's a little bit of a sticky point because he's had a career where he's, he's made a career of being below the league average in, in home runs for fly ball. And that's something that we've had a hard time um, proving that it exists. But, um, you know, if you regress that even back to 10%, you can cut his home runs per nine and a half and you can still get a 360 ERA rest of the way. Well, don't you think that the fantasy gods are making up for all of the luck that they've given him in previous years? And they're like, all right. Enough luck. You've had all that you can throughout your career. We're going to stick you with a 20% home run per fly ball rate this year, and you're going to have to just deal with it. Oh, that's the gambler's fallacy. <laughs> no, but I mean, this is a guy who has never actually appeared on my fantasy team, may never 
end up on my fantasy team because he gets by by outperforming his ex-FIP, his Sierra, and he does it with a low BABIP, a low home run per fly ball rate, and most of the time a high left on base percentage. And these are guys that just are not ones that I want to gamble on because one of these years their luck is going to run out. And and so far it's happened this year. And who's to say that he's going to get his luck back for the remainder of the year? I'd much rather gamble on a starter who actually has the skills for a three-year ray than somebody who's lucked his way. Or maybe it's not luck, but he is relying on a low BABIP. And how many years can we count on that continuing? Just like Jared Weaver, he's not a guy I want to count on that kind of skill continuing. I'd much rather bet on the strikeout, walk rate, and ground ball rates than the the low bad bip and the, the low home run fly ball rate. Yeah. I, my, I've convinced you. My I've views on this are, voice. are... What's that? I said I've convinced you. I hear it in your voice. You're becoming... You're, you're, you're moving on to the duck side. No, no, no. I actually... <laughs> I, I like Kane uh, a little bit more than you. And the, the, my views have actually been changing. In the past, I would have totally agreed with you, actually. But um, my views have been changing over the last year with um, the, the advancement in research and sort of the, the pop-up percentage. Um, his, uh, his pop-up percentage is, is still above average, um, and that, that helps keep home runs for fly ball down. Um, and also, you know, there's something to be said for um, being the same guy in the same park in front of the same defense. Um, and then all of a sudden things changing. I mean, if you give a guy, uh, he's got a 264 Babbitt, um, over 1500 innings, I'm not going to keep calling it luck. So, um, you know, he's got a 265 Babbitt again. He's, he's, he's a low Babbitt guy. Uh, he's a fly ball guy. That's part of it. He's in, he's in San Francisco. That's part of it. He's in front of a good defense. That's part of it. Uh, the, the, Left on base percentage, they found, uh, you know, Cameron found that the Giants as a team have had a high left on base percentage. When I talked to uh, Vogelsong about it, he sort of showed me what he does to, to, to have a high left on base percentage. Of course, that's, that's another can of worms. But, um, you know, the, the choice to walk a guy over giving up a home run with the guys on base um, could affect your left on base percentage uh, theoretically. So... There, there are some cracks of daylight here, and I'm not a rigid uh, Sierraist, or I'm not a rigid um, guy. I, I feel like there are different ways to find success, you know. Um, and uh, I think that Kane has shown over his career that this is a successful way for him to be. Now, do I think that he's going to have another sub three ERA going forward? No. Uh, did I project him for that this season? No. So um, I would. I would hold tight with my three five ish. I think he's sort of a three five ish ERA guy, true talent, and I think he can do that the rest of the way. All right, let's move on to the last topic. And what if you're stuck so far with a, a Matt Kane, a Giancarlo Stanton, a Josh Hamilton, and you find yourself in last place? You're in a keeper league. At what point do you decide to give up and say, "All right, it's just not happening this year. It's time to dump." And actually. Talking non-keeper leagues, you know, you're in 13th in our Tout Wars League. At what point do you say it's time to give up and trade all my good players to me? <laughs> in a redraft league, it's never time to give up. Um, 
uh, I should probably be staring a hole into that roster in terms of a trade. So I actually give me a shortstop. I need a shortstop. I have Alex Gonzalez, and that's just not going to do it for me. Yeah, I, I I can't give you a shortstop. I can I can trade a second baseman away, but um, I I'm also want to trade pitching away. So I will uh, I'll be looking to see if I can do that. Um, of course, that's that can get dicey in some leagues, but. Um, you know, I think I've had some bad starts. Dustin Pedroia is on that team, and he's he's not helping me out right now. But um, in terms of uh, keeper leagues, um, you know, it's not just how you feel about your team because the other teams are also trying to figure out if they're buying or selling. And so I think the real true answer is the time to sell is when you you find a buyer. <laughs> That's so lame. Um the idea is, though, that, uh, you know, a team that's in like fourth right now also doesn't know if he's a buyer and doesn't know if he's really going to spend a lot to to buy your sort of aging players that you want prospects for. So there needs to be I think it's a little bit early. I would give it um, sometime in the next month. Um, I would start, you know, picking the most obvious players on your team if you're uh, if you're trying to buy uh, to, for the stretch run and, you, and you've and you got an obvious need in, in your roster, then look to try and upgrade that one spot. Don't look to try and buy willy-nilly uh, if you're in third or fourth um, or fifth even. And if you're, if you're in seventh or eighth or ninth, you know, don't sell everybody. Sell, you know, one or two guys. Uh, see if you, if your other guys rebound. If not, sell the rest. Yeah, I mean, I would give it till at least June, mid-June to see where your team is at and then give them a, a serious look and determine if there's anybody that is off to slow starts that you expect to rebound over the rest of the season. And if you come to the conclusion that your roster is just not very good, then go all out with the dumping. Don't just do, you know, a guy here and there. You got to dump everybody because if he's not worth keeping – then he's not worth having if you don't expect to finish in the money. So, yeah, that's 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 a really hard lesson to learn. It's a really important one actually because uh, last year my my last place Auto team uh, had Mike Trout for five bucks. Knew that arbitration was going to come hit hard, and I just convinced myself that I could uh, change things in one off season. Um, and my team's still flagging this year. And now Mike Trout's $38 on that team. And um, I just feel stupid. So uh, I, I'm going to try and be more definitive in my keeper leagues and just, you know, be, be decisive. Yeah, being wishy-washy in a keeper league is not good because you should either go for it all by trading away your prospects for stars or go for the dump trading all your stars for prospects. Got to go all out when you make a decision in keeper leagues. Otherwise, you're going to be left in the middle and not in any better position for the next year. Any- and I think, you yeah. know, I think this is interesting, though, because Cameron, uh, Dave Cameron and I had a sort of back and forth at one point, uh, if you can call it that, about um, the Marlins and, and teams in real baseball and whether or not they should try to win every year or if they should uh, tank uh, some seasons in order to accrue more young talent. Um, and he made a good point that you never know what can happen. And so you should try in real baseball, at least to kind of, um, 
stick with it and, you know, make good, uh, just make good baseball decisions and just try to always win, basically. Um, but I think that in fantasy, it's a little bit different because the bar is higher uh, in order to compete. And all your players, and the bar is higher in, 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 on a player level, too. You know, a good player in baseball can be a one-war player, a two-war player, a guy who goes out there and plays decent defense at different positions um, and just, you know, but is not at all fantasy useful. So um, if, you're a, if you're a team that's just looking to try and get a little better, you have a low payroll and you're, you're trying in real life, you're just trying to get better, you can go sign, you know, an Adam Rosales or, a, or you know, just some guy that you think, you know, could help you in these different positions. Uh, you know, a Johnny Gomes, he can hit, he can hit lefties. That's good. But in fantasy, um, the bar is higher, and Johnny Gomes isn't going to turn your season around. So um, I think that it is actually worth being more decisive in, in fantasy baseball because you need, you need top 500 players. You need top 300 players. You know, you need that very top of the, 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 the pile in order to compete. Yeah, and of course the most important thing is that fantasy owners don't have fans that they actually have to uh, – <laughs> in front of and sell tickets. Although I do have a fan section that I've told them to be quiet during the podcast. They'll start cheering for me after it ends. But uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I, I try to keep my teams in the best shape possible, so the fans will keep cheering for me. <laughs> anyway, that's gonna do it today. Join us again on Thursday for more fantasy fun on the Sleeper and the Bust. For Eno Saris, I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.